tonight, if you would, to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. Most of you know on Wednesday nights we have been looking at a series of messages on living by principles. It's not as much the doctrines that we believe as the way that we practice those things in practical life. And again, so we've looked at living by principles and a principle is a, is a foundational policy. It's a basic. We uh, took the first week to look at uh, what a principle even is, where we get them. We get them from the Word of God. And uh, if they're just enforced on you, they're a standard. But if you embrace them, they're a conviction. Then we looked at the principle of separation and always putting God first. Principle of consecration and Christian fellowship, heavenly affections. Very last time I looked at the principle of the church and how important it is that uh, you find a church that you can meet. It won't necessarily be in a church building. We know many of the churches in the Bible, they began in homes. But they didn't stop there. As they grow, they launched out into a bigger facility. We looked at the priority of the church. It ought to be important in your life. The purpose of a church is to help you continue in your faith and then the participation in church. Church isn't just a one-way thing. Church is a two-way thing. And as you are helped, you turn around and you do help. Preacher, which principle are we looking at today? There, if you would, in Romans chapter 14 and verse number 1. Romans 14, 1, if you'd follow as I read, Him that is weak in the faith, Receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, again, thank you for each one that's come pretty cold out there. It's good to have a warm building to meet inside. I pray, Lord, that you would help us. As we now open your word. Could you please instruct us about another principle that could help us and that could help others if we learn it? Guide my words. Fill me with your spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we get into this particular one, just to give you a bit of an overview of Romans. Romans is the doctrinal book. It's the one that gives the doctrine of salvation and how it is that we trust Christ as our Savior. And all of that doctrine is found in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. So as you read chapter 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 and 5, it's all doctrine. Once you get to number chapter number 12 through 16, it gets very practical. And that's why back there, if you would, uh, Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Remember, we've just had 11 chapters of doctrine. Look at the very next words in chapter 12 and verse 1. I beseech you, therefore. And so because of all this doctrine that we have that God gave us, Therefore, and the final chapters in Romans get very practical. Chapter number 12, we find out the kind of relationship that we ought to have with others. Chapter number 13, the kind of relationship that we ought to have to the government. Then when you get into chapter number 14, the kind of relationship that we ought to have, and look again at chapter 14 and verse number 1. Him that is weak in the faith. So chapter 14, Paul has noticed some things in some churches that he started 
and no doubt he's heard something about these believers in Rome, that some of them in their churches are having a strange reaction to weak Christians. Now, he's not talking about physically weak. He's not talking about those that are 70 pounds when they're wet and their pockets are full of bananas. He's not talking about physically. He's not talking about somebody that couldn't arm wrestle a child. And he's not talking about somebody that needs four to help pick up a sack of potatoes. He's not talking about anybody that's physically weak. Look at the verse again. It says, him that is weak in the faith. So Paul had noticed that some Christians, as they are faithful in a local church, they meet other Christians, maybe in their same local church, who are weak in the faith. So they haven't matured much. They haven't grown very much. And Paul's noticing how some of those Christians are dealing with these weak Christians, and we're going to see in just a few minutes, but some more mature Christians who have convinced themselves, I've got everything figured out, I'm okay, I'm doing all right. When they meet a Christian that they don't think everything is okay, they really start bullying on them. And you say, oh, preacher, that is not my problem, good for you. But that's what Paul's writing about. Look at it again, verse number 1, Romans 14 and verse 1. Paul says, him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. So we're going to look at this tonight, if you're taking notes. The principle of weaker Christians. The principle of weaker Christians. So how to deal with Christians that aren't yet where you're at. Now, you know, I, there was more prayer put into this message maybe than the last few weeks, because if you're not careful, you will take the position, I guess, I'm a weaker Christian, therefore everybody has to kind of cave in to whatever it is that I think is okay. That is not where Paul's going in chapter 14. Paul in chapter 14 says, if you perceive yourself as a stronger Christian, as a more mature Christian, as somebody that maybe has the handle on a few more things, how you're supposed to deal with those that haven't gone that far. And again, I say that, and as soon as I say that, I bite my fingernails to my elbows, fearing that somebody is going to take that and twist that, so for the sake of trusting God, we're gonna trust God. Again, the principle of weaker Christians. We're going to be back to 1 Corinthians, but turn over a few pages to 1, uh, sorry, back to Romans. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2. 1 Corinthians 2. Preacher, what are we going to learn about the principle of weaker Christians? 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. 1 Corinthians 2. Look there in verse number 14. The Bible says, but the natural man, do you know in chapter 2 and chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, Paul is going to describe three kinds of people in a church. And the first one's a natural man. The natural man is someone who's not even saved yet. And you know, folks, in 
almost every church, if not every church, there is somebody in that church who is still not saved. They might just be new to the church. They might just be born into the church, and they're too young to even understand the gospel. Or they may have heard the gospel many times, and for whatever reason, they have not yet trusted Christ. But that's the natural man. In every church, there will be those that the Bible calls natural, never been saved. And again, because they are natural, they are not attentive to the Spirit of God. They're spiritually dead. They can't be taught anything. The first thing, if you're writing down in this particular first point, is every church has people of varying spiritual maturities. Every church has people of varying spiritual maturities. There are some folks in the church aren't even saved. That's the natural man. Well, let's look at the third kind. I'm going to jump over to the second, go to the third kind. Look there in verse 15. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 15, but he that is spiritual. So we've got the natural man on this end of the spectrum, not even saved, never trusts Christ as a Savior. Therefore, the Spirit of God cannot teach him spiritual truths. Way over here on the other end of the spectrum, we've got the spiritual man. This man is saved. And this man, the Spirit of God, is able to teach him because he is in tune with the Spirit. Again, he's not only saved, but he is obedient to the Word of God. And then there's somebody right in the middle between the natural man and the spiritual man. Look there in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 1. Paul says in chapter 3 and verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. So do you know what, folks? In every church, there are those that are lost. They're natural. There are those that are spiritual. They're saved. They walk with God. They're obedient to the Word of God. But then there are some that are right in the middle. And, and in the first part of chapter 3 and verse 1, he calls them carnal. That uh, prefix carn, like a carnival or carnivorous. All that is flesh. I hate to break it to you, but a carnival is all flesh. See, I like them. That might be fine, but it's still satisfying to your flesh. Carnivorous is an animal that eats meat, eats flesh. So he's saying in a church there are some that are lost. They're natural. The Spirit of God can't teach them anything. They can't grow spiritually. There are those that are spiritual, and they are attentive to the Word of God. And then there are those in the middle that are carnal. They're saved. But the flesh still runs them. Look again at chapter 3 and verse 1. Paul is writing to some of these Corinthians, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Now, a babe in Christ is someone who's just gotten saved. A babe in Christ is someone who hasn't yet matured. A babe in Christ is someone who hasn't learned all that God would have them learn. So he said, just like a carnal Christian who is saved but is still controlled by his flesh isn't controlled by the Spirit of God, that carnal Christian is just like a baby Christian. And so again, the very first thing that we are learning here is we are learning that every church has people of varying spiritual maturities. 
Now, if you ask the average Christian, are you spiritual or are you carnal? Do you know the way that many Christians decide whether they're carnal or whether they're spiritual is they would give you a list of outward sins that they either do or they don't do. So if you ask some people, what would make a spiritual Christian a pastor? I think if someone's a spiritual Christian, they won't smoke and, and, and they won't drink and they won't cuss and they won't run around with a party crowd. They are describing a spiritual Christian as someone that doesn't do those kind of outward sins. Well, I wonder if that's how God would describe a spiritual or a carnal Christian. Look there, 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 2. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 2, Paul says to these who are carnal, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you are not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Notice there he describes carnal as those that have to deal with envy and strife and divisions. I am not for a moment giving a license to drinking and to smoking and to swearing and the partying. I'm not going, that's not at all what I'm saying. But Paul says that you could have all that outside fixed up. And yet if inside there is still envy and strife and division, you are just as carnal. So again, the first thing that we have seen in our text is we have seen there are three different categories of people in a church. There's a natural one that's lost. They cannot learn from the Spirit of God because they are not, don't have any spiritual understanding. Then we learned in a church that the other end of that is spiritual. They not only are saved, but they're in tune with the Spirit of God, and the middle of that is carnal. Of course, the great question is, which one are you and I? I give you a second thing that we learn here about dealing with weaker Christians. Now, we had to understand that because if someone in a church is spiritual, if they are, not everybody in a church is spiritual. How many follow that? That's, that's somewhat logical. So if indeed you or I, if we have reached to that place that God would consider us spiritual, if we've reached there, in the same church that we attend, we're going to have to deal with carnal Christians. And we're going to have to deal with people that are not even saved yet with natural people. So again, we're trying to understand this principle of how to deal with weaker Christians. Second thing, if you would write this down, the second thing... Uh, look there in verse 3, rather, before we write it down. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 4. Remember in verse 3, just talked about carnality. Just talked about one of the evidences of carnality was envy and strife and divisions. Look at verse 4. For while one saith, I am of a Paul, sorry, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Paulus. Stop right there for a minute. Do you know in this church at Corinth, Paul, uh, Paul noticed that there were people that were jockeying about the very one that they favored the most. And so some said, you know what, my favorite preacher is Paul. And of course, Paul was the one that started this Corinthian church. 
And so there were some in this church, they said, my favorite is Paul. I, I am of Paul, they said. Well, there were others in that church, I'm sure they felt they were spiritual, and they said, no, 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 Paul's not my favorite. Look what they said in verse 4. I am of Apollos. Preacher, who is Apollos? Well, you find his name mentioned in Acts 18 and 19. Paul was what you and I would call a traveling evangelist. And so while there are some were saying, you know, my loyalty is Paul. He's the one that started this church. That's who I love the most. I'm of Paul. Others said, no, no, my favorite is Apollos. And he's the one that I like the most. And every once in a while when he comes through Corinth and preaches, I'll tell you what, no one can preach like Apollos preaches. Look over in chapter 1. For in chapter 1, Paul expands this list of favorites, if you would. There in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 12. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I'm of Paul. So some said, I'm of Paul. We've seen that. And I'm of Paulus. Now look at the third group. I'm of Cephas. I'm pretty sure it was Cephas. Cephas is Peter. And of course, Peter was that old, respected, ancient father of the faith who way back during the times of Christ. You understand there was a division of favorites. And then, of course, the fourth one there in 1 Corinthians 1.12 they weren't going to follow any man. They weren't going to follow Paul or Apollos or Cephas. They said, I'm of Christ. You know what Paul noticed? Not only there are different, or sorry, varying spiritual maturities, but you know, second thing, every church has people who vie, I'm giving you V's tonight, who vie for different leadership. In a church, you're going to find some people that say, you know what, he's my favorite. Someone's going, no, 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 he's my favorite. No, 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 he's my favorite. I heard a preacher one time make this comment about that verse. Do you know no one's favorite was the pastor they had? And how many churches, and hasn't social media accelerated this? How many churches have people that are more loyal to some other preacher on internet than their own? I'm not crying in my soup, but it's a fair observation. The division in churches often are because of loyalties somewhere else. I've heard Brother Jack Hiles, of course he's in heaven now, I've heard him say this. I have heard, I've read Hugh Pyle, who pastored in Florida many years, I've heard him say this. I've heard Brother Knox personally tell me this, that there are people that elevate those preachers above many of the rest, above even their own pastor, who have made this statement, if I was just in that church, things would be so much better. I'd be so much happier. I'd be so much more content. I would do so much more. I'd willing to serve so much further. And I've heard each one of them say it's interesting when they finally move to where they were at, where we're at, they normally don't last very long. Because it's just a spirit of discontent. It's discontent of having to look over the fence to find something that I don't have that I think that will make it happy, me happier. Now we're getting to this weaker brethren. Some people, their attitude toward leadership, toward maybe, just maybe if you would, somebody that's a notch above them, 
they want to pick who they're going to follow. Now, having said that, it leads us to this third thing, which is this weaker brethren. Look there, if you would, in uh, Romans chapter 14, because that's where we started. Romans chapter 14. Many years ago, of course, through the years, we had many folks visit the church. Thankfully, some have stayed. We've had many folks visit the church. I remember one particular family, while we were still in the Elks Hall, they visited our church. They came for a few weeks, and then they stopped coming. And as is often the case, when they stopped coming, we went to visit them, and I said, what did we do wrong? They said, well, you didn't really do anything wrong. We just decided we'd stay home and watch John Hagee, because we like them so much. But how many recognize that name? Hey, we won't go there, but they said, we're going to stay home and watch John Hagee. I said, well, if you ever change your mind, you know where we're at. Don't you know a few years ago that phone, our phone rang? It was the man on the other end of the phone again. He said, would you baptize my children? <laughs> I said, you know, really, wherever you attend church, really, that pastor should baptize you. And he said, well, my pastor is John Hagee. <laughs> but I couldn't be bothered to travel down to the south to get baptized. We thought you would do. And that's the attitude that some have that this will do, but we sure could find something a whole lot better somewhere else. I'm saying in every church, there's three kinds of people, natural, not saved. There's carnal, saved, but still very fleshly. And there's spiritual. In every church, you'll find them. In every church, you'll find some, when they get thinking about leadership, they want some other leader than what they already have. And they've convinced themselves it will be so much better if I had just somebody else. And that's why some said, I'm of Paul. I'd, I'd just soon follow Paul. Well, Paul's not your pastor. Well, I'm of Apollos. He's not your pastor. Well, I'm of Cephas. He's not your pastor. Well, I'm of Christ. Well, that's a good thing, but Christ isn't pastoring that church that you attend. Third thing, Romans chapter 14 and verse 1. Romans chapter 14 and verse 1, Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. Now, we've looked at the attitude of some toward maybe somebody that's a step up, maybe. But now we're looking at the attitude of some in a church to maybe somebody that's a step below them. Folks, that is where we're going tonight, how a, how a Christian ought to treat weaker Christians. That's the principle. Well, he says there in chapter 14 and verse 1, he says, him that is weak in the faith. So Paul must have heard that uh, there were those who wanted someone better to lead them. We already looked at that. But Paul also heard that there were some who wanted everybody else in their church to know everything that they already know. And folks, that's just not practical. We have some babies in the nursery. And we have some little children the other end of the building. And you know that they don't know yet what you know. That's always going to be true. And so what Paul noticed in some of these churches, and he wrote it to this church at Rome, that when you find somebody that walks into the front doors of your church, and he doesn't have all that you have figured out, 
Paul said in so many churches, some of the people in the church think it's their God-given assignment to take that weaker Christian to task and get into a fight and get into a spat and get into a quarrel. He said, listen, you ought to rejoice that they're at least coming in. Don't fight them. Now, again, when I say those things, there are some issues, folks, that we don't move on. We don't move on a literal heaven and a literal hell. We don't change on believing that there's a trinity, that there's a judgment to come, and there's an indwelling Holy Spirit, and salvation is certain, and you can't There are some things that are not negotiable. But, folks, there are some things that are not crystal clear in the Scriptures. It's going to take some time to get people to that point. And he's saying that when you find someone that is weak in the faith, receive them. Bring them in. Take them in. And don't start fighting. Look again at Romans 14 and verse 1. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye. So take them in. But not to doubtful disputations. Now, no doubt, there were some when Paul wrote that, just as much as there are some today. Pastor, you kind of lost me. Give me an example. Well, Paul gives an example. Look there in verse number 2. Romans 14, 2. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. And so Paul said, listen, there, there's going to be folks that walk into that church they're going to be vegetarians. <laughs> they are going to be convinced that they shouldn't eat meat. And he's going to say, you know what? You could open up the scriptures and beat them over the head. But why would you do that? Because just as it's taken you years to get to the place that you are, they might just be beginning on that journey. Uh, keep your hand there in uh, Romans 14. Look over there, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter number 8. Paul talked about the same thing to the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians chapter number 8. Uh, look at verse number 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 8. He said, But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, Neither if we eat not are we the worse. So apparently this, this kind of issue had risen in more than just one church. Pastor, what was behind all that? Well, you're in 1 Corinthians 8. Look there in verse number 1. Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. Uh, but if any man love uh, God, the same is known of him. Look at verse 4. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols. Hold there just for a minute. In some of those cities that Paul went in to preach to establish churches, there had been false idol worship. People had worshipped other gods, and in their worship of other gods, they would take animals and sacrifice those animals. Portion of those animals would be given, no doubt, to the priest of the temple of that god. 
and the rest of that animal that had been sacrificed to that idol was just then sent down to the marketplace and it was sold. It was sold by the pound. Well, there were some who used to worship those false gods who now had gotten saved and were in these churches that Paul started. And as soon as they heard about this meat that had been offered to idols, they went, we can't eat that. That was offered to idols. That is an example of what Paul would call somebody who was weak in the faith. Now, we don't have time to go through it all, but Paul continues there in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and Paul says, we know that there is only one true God. And we know that all those other gods are not the true gods. So if something was offered in false worship to those other gods, that doesn't mean anything to God. But Paul says, as much as I have no qualms whatsoever about eating that meat that was offered as uh, idols, if my Christian brother who still has a carryover, if you would, from his old lost days. If that affects him, and if that bothers him, and if that hurts his conscience, Paul said there, I won't eat that meat, that kind of meat in front of him the rest of my life. What do you mean, Paul? You know there's nothing to it. He said, I know there's nothing to it. But I'm not going to hurt him in the liberty that I have. Folks, that's what Paul is saying. Let me give you, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, but let me give you another example. We've had people that have come in here, and here we go, ladies with head coverings. Well, I know that some have come from churches or assemblies or whatever. That head covering is something that they do. Listen, you can wear a head covering eight days a week, 26 hours a day. It doesn't offend me. And I'm not going to offend them and take them to task. You see, what they have is what's called a conviction of conscience. And folks, if you have been raised in a particular religious persuasion all of your life, it's hard to shake that overnight. And so you know what Paul says? When you find somebody that comes in that seems to have some rock-solid, unmovable, if I don't do it, my conscience will let it go. There's a lot of things that go under that category. uh, Brother Green, my wife's home pastor, he's in heaven, loves the Lord. He he prayed four hours every day. How could I ever say anything negative about a man that prays that much every day? Brother Green had a conviction that before he preached, he had to bathe. And he'd he'd go traveling on vacation, and he'd walk into a church, Pastor Green. I didn't know that you were going to be here tonight. We're going to have you preach tonight. And immediately he's thinking about this conviction from his conscience. 
There's not a clear-cut verse on that one, folks. <laughs> and you know what? He'd excuse himself and go into a men's bathroom and lock the door, and he would give himself a sponge bath every time before he preached. Now, you can say, preacher, that's crazy. Let that man alone. If he wants to do that, let him do it. I might have an opinion about that, but I would be smart to leave my opinions to myself. Is that fair? Do you know in the interests of a church growing, folks, we have people every week that are not yet saved. And you can take a Bible and chapter and verse them to death. They're not saved yet. Give them a break. There are some that have very strong convictions about Christmas. We don't wave that Christmas thing around here. What you do at your home is your business at your home. I have climbed up on my roof in January to take my Christmas lights off because we had a special speaker that was going to stay at our home that was against Christmas. You say, Pastor, you should have kept them up. That's the whole point of the text. You don't have to push your conviction in someone else's face just to show them who's boss. That's the whole point. And so again, we have seen so far tonight three things. We have seen that every church has people of varying spiritual maturities Secondly, every church has people who vie for different leadership. Third, every church has people who view weaker Christians poorly. But could I give you the last thing, and this is the best thing. Look there in Romans 14 and verse 19. Romans 14 and verse 19, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. And so the big question is this. Yes, I have liberty to do what I want because there's no scripture that clearly is against it. But in the interests of me helping you, how far am I going to go to help you? And I'll tell you what, that's the cream of any church. How can I help? I say, well, Pastor, what is it? What if it is about the doctrines of heaven and hell? Then, with a sweet spirit at God's timing, help them. Pastor, what if it is about the uh, the church not going halfway through the tribulation? Then, with a sweet spirit in God's timing, help them. But it all comes down to that attitude that is in the heart: Am I trying to help them? Or am I trying to say either you do it my way or there's the highway? That's this whole principle of a weaker Christian and how we deal with a weaker Christian. And God bless those that have that attitude in verse number 19. Uh, now again, the flip side of this whole thing is some people that uh, they, they, uh, they don't have any convictions. And they say, well, I guess I'm a weaker Christian, so you have to accommodate me. That's not at all what this is about. And of course, you take this message to the extreme. And you're going to start going to people and say, you can't do that anymore because it offends me. That is not who Paul is writing these things to. 
I read about a pastor who, uh, when he first started his Christian school, they didn't have a gymnasium. And so in the efforts of coming up with some activity for the children of his Christian school, he lined it up at the local bowling alley. He said, one day every week, one afternoon, we're going to take all of our school children to the bowling alley. That bowling alley happened to sell liquor. It never sold it when that school group was there. It wasn't even open to sell it when that school group was there. You know what that pastor knew? That pastor knew that there would be some families in that church that had a problem with their children going bowling in a bowling alley if it could sell liquor. And so the pastor knew it. He was as gracious as he could be. And he said, listen, you have to follow the conviction of your conscience. So if you would rather your children not go to the bowling alley, that's fine. They can stay back at the school and they can play table games and chess and checkers. And some of them said, we're not going and we don't think that you should go either. And if you go, we're going to quit the school. Do you understand that's not the spirit that's going to win people? Heard about these two brothers. Apparently, it's a true story. Two brothers worked together on a family farm. One of them was married, had a large family, and the other one was single. And at the day's end, the brothers shared everything equally, the produce and the profit. One day, the single brother said to himself, now, this isn't right. It's not right that we share equally the produce and the profit. After all, I'm alone, and my needs are so simple. Therefore, each night he took a sack of grain from his bin and snuck across the field between his house and his brother's house, and he dumped that sack of grain and all that grain into his brother's bin, took the empty sack back. He had the right attitude. How can I be a blessing to somebody else? Well, meanwhile, his married brother said to himself, this isn't right. This isn't right that we share the produce and the profit equally. After all, I'm married and I have a wife and children to look after me in the years to come. And my brother has no one to look after him and no one to take care of his future. That's the right attitude. So you know what that married brother did each night? He took a sack of grain. And he snuck around to uh, his brother's house and he poured his grain in his brother's bin and took that empty sack back. They continued that night after night and week after week, and they really, they can, month after month, year after year. And it puzzled each of them how their supply of grain never seemed to dwindle. Until one night, those two brothers bumped into each other. And they each had a sack of grain that they were holding, and they dropped their sacks. And in that moment of time, they figured exactly what had happened. Because he was interested in just being a blessing to him, and he was just interested in being a blessing to him. They had a, they had a love and a compassion and a unity. Folks, that's what makes a church. 
It's not, I know so much more, and you have to do what I know, or you're not welcome. That's not it. There are always going to be various and varying degrees of maturity in a church, and wherever you're at, it's not, it's all about me. It's how can I be a blessing to him? Let's pray. Father, we have looked at another principle. The principle is how to treat a weaker brother. And, and Lord, that's assuming that we're a stronger one. Lord, I pray that you'd help us. Pray that you'd help us to have the same spirit, the same mindset as those two brothers in that closing illustration. Lord, I pray that you'd help us by care and compassion and love and generosity and patience and grace learn to work with those that are not exactly where we're at help us to love them forward and help them to love us forward too we ask this in jesus name amen